everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. I might have mentioned it once or twice. I love the analytics that I get for this podcast. Oh, and yes, I'm using Anchor to host my podcast. And again, that's not a paid plug or anything. And of course, uh, checking those analytics, it's always nice to see the small shifts in things. Special thank you and hello to the 18 and 22 crowd. That percentage has gone up. I've had a number of people over the months tell me they've never watched Little House on the Prairie. And so I love telling them, well, neither have I, and that's why I've made this podcast. And one of those selling points to people for this podcast is I tell them there's no swearing in the podcast. Now, in person... And when not at work, that's a completely different story. Years ago, when I worked in a toy store, as well as volunteered in some elementary school libraries, you definitely had to find those ways of switching up your vocabulary. However, Charles does do a bit of shirtless drilling, and he does get kind of sweaty. He also spends a bit of time deep in a hole in this episode. So, with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled Little Girl Lost and debuted on October 18, 1976. The episode was written by Paul W. Cooper, another first-time writer, and directed by Michael Landon. We open up with Morning in Walnut Grove. It's an overcast morning, and the kids are heading into school. Mary and Laura are entering town with Carl Sanderson, only Carl Sanderson. And as they make their way towards school, the camera pans over to a monarch butterfly on the tree. In the background, we see Nellie and Willie also head to school, and the camera zooms in on that butterfly. And, surprise, not really... The class topic today is entomology, which Big Sister Mary incorrectly guesses as geology at first. P.S. It should be noted, Miss Beetle mentions it's springtime. All the bugs are hatching. This is when Carl Sanderson, the only Sanderson sibling in attendance today, remarks how bugs eat the crops and they're just irritating. And they're not helpful at all. And sadly, no one inquires if Carl is talking about himself. Of course, Miss Beetle disagrees with this and tries to make an example of some good insects, like bees. And Carl, he's not having it. You ever get caught in a swarm of bees? Miss Beetle shakes her head and then questions back, have you? And it's Carl Sanderson. So, of course, he has. In fact, he clarifies and says he has had it happen multiple times. This kid. In the defense of bees, Miss Beetle states, well, they're most likely trying to protect the queen bee. She is, after all, irreplaceable. It's at this moment, because nobody asked, Willie opens his mouth and says that he was stung in the outhouse. Once again, toilet humor from Willie. 
Ignoring him, Miss Beetle then asks, what's the importance of bees? Laura shoots her hand up and yells out, honey. Miss Beetle agrees, but then also mentions pollination. And Miss Know-It-All Nellie doesn't know it all because she then inquires, what is pollination? Apparently, Nellie Olson is unaware of the birds and the bees and most likely has not witnessed a cow birthing like Laura has. Miss Beetle gives a watered-down explanation of pollination and concludes with, bees are really man's best friend. She then pulls out a chart with a giant grasshopper pictured on it, and they start going over body parts. She points out the head. As a class in unison, they all say thorax. And when it finally comes to the abdomen, Willie yells out, it's the behind, because that's where the bee stung me in the outhouse. Willie is sent to the corner. And with that, Miss Beetle transitions to the new homework assignment. And moving forward from leaf collecting, we are now on to bug collecting. It's at this time, Laura raises her hand and needs some clarification. Do butterflies count? She's assured that they do. Nellie Olson, being the little rain cloud that she is, what good are butterflies? And Laura's response is, they make the world prettier. The look on Nellie Olson's face, I've made that face before. However, my version of it included an eye roll. We cut to the mill. Charles is at the table saw, you know, fulfilling an order. And a man we've never met, there's no other way to describe it. He creeps his way into the scene. And this is our introduction to Mr. Loudy. Odd, considering his quiet entrance. And he's looking around as though he's wanted, dead or alive. But really, he's looking for Mr. Hansen, who, at that moment, enters the scene. And, well, what plays out is an event that seems to have been repeated more than once. Loudy has come seeking employment, and Mr. Hansen very aggressively says no. He doesn't seem to be trusting of Loudy, and Loudy himself admits that he's changed. Seasons changed. Feelings changed. And he's been alcohol-free for weeks. I know Miss Beetle mentioned it was springtime, but Mr. Loudy sounds like he's doing his own dry January. But then I have to wonder, what about Mr. Edwards and his mash? Still addressing Mr. Hansen, loudly pleads and says, it's been 20 years. Oh goodness, mystery developing. And then Mr. Loudy fills us in on some history. He claims that Mr. Hansen is upset because he is the one that ended up with the girl. And Mr. Loudy is seeking confirmation to this statement. And Mr. Hans's response is, I'm not upset because you married her. I'm upset because you killed her. Oh, spit. That's when Mr. Loudy pulls a bottle out and claims, you're right, nothing has changed. Mr. Hansen retreats to his office. Meanwhile, Charles has been in the background and witnesses the entire scene play out. Loudy 
quietly leaves. And it should be noted, Charles has a few extra unbuttoned buttons on his shirt. So at the moment, things are a little hot in Walnut Grove. Checking in on his friend slash boss, Charles looks into the office, finding Mr. Hansen. Mr. Hansen is staring at the camera with tears in his eyes. At no point in the scene does he ever look at Charles. And this is when Mr. Hansen shares of the history between him, Loudy, and his wife. The one that got away. And this is when Charles apparently already knew everything because he defends Mr. Loudy and says he suffered enough and that the fire was not his fault. Stop. What fire? Apparently a lot happens after the credits have rolled. But we get the rest of the explanation. During a house fire, Mr. Loudy was able to rescue his daughter. They were the only survivors. And that's when Mr. Hansen finally says, he saved himself and not my Ellen. He takes a moment before reminding Charles that he has a job to do. Charles leaves. We cut over to Plum Creek. Carolyn is at the table ironing and the girls are running home, anxious to start that new homework assignment. Laura claims, we need two jars. Caroline, what's going on? That's when it is explained about the bug collection. Laura is quick to ask Caroline on how she might be able to catch a butterfly. And Caroline, being the crafty pioneer woman that she is, takes just a moment before she says, oh, some cheesecloth and some wire. She mentions that there is some wire out in the barn, and if she can't find it there, they can always check Charles's wagon. When Laura steps outside, this is the time when we are reminded about Carrie. Remember her? Well, she finally opens her mouth again for the first time since the Matter of Faith episode. And although the subtitles were on, I didn't need them for this. Carrie demands to tag along. I want to go with them. I want to catch bugs. And Big Sister Mary... Acknowledging little sister Carrie for the first time in who knows how long, responds with a whining, does she have to? And Caroline, shocked that Carrie actually spoke, rewards her and says, yeah, Carrie can tag along, even though I would like her to come with me to town. And I have to say, you're the mother. What's stopping you? But instead, she just tells the girls to be home in time for supper. With the girls out bug collecting, Caroline heads to town, and she runs into Miss Beetle before entering the mercantile. It's small town, small talk. They wish one another well and to have a good day. It's at this moment, Willie runs outside to show Miss Beetle his own butterfly collection that he got from behind the counter and passing it off as his own work. Plagiarism. Miss Beetle does remark on how beautiful a collection it is, but then explains how the work must be original material, not someone else's. She mentions then how some kids have to go far to get bugs. And flipping that frame around, Willie points to the sign on the back that says, Made in England, and then states, No other children are going that far. Miss Beetle looks at him and then says, I'll just see you tomorrow, Willie, and then turns and leaves. And even as she walks away, she does a double take to Willie.
we cut to Laura and Mary with their makeshift net and they're chasing and capturing butterflies. Laura voices my own thoughts when she inquires, is it okay to have all of these insects all mixed in together? You know, the caterpillars, butterflies, grasshoppers, ladybugs, ants, won't they eat one another? With their new addition to their collection, Mary and Laura head back to fetch Carrie, who's over by Willow Lake, sitting on a log. And I have to mention, Willow Lake is looking a little dried up. Arriving back at their jars, the jars are open. The bugs are gone, all except the one that is in Carrie's hands. And when asked why she did it, Carrie simply replies, I don't know. P.S. Carrie is fixated on the grasshopper in her hand. She's staring at it as if she's coming down from a dental procedure. Is this real life? The girls instruct Jack and Carrie to stay where they are at as they start their bug collecting again. Carrie is continuing to play with that grasshopper. Once on her lap, it does hop away. And that's when her attention turns to... A monarch butterfly. And Carrie gets up. And so does Jack. And he does sound the alarm by barking. And he follows in pursuit of Carrie. And well, we get a little bit of time of Carrie acting like a Disney princess, mindlessly chasing the butterfly around. Until finally, Carrie pulls a baby Jessica and falls into a hole in the ground. Jack trying to redeem himself, pulls a lassie and heads out to fetch Mary and Laura. We cut to Caroline on her way home and she stops at the mill to get a ride home with Charles. And seated up in the wagon, Caroline calls out a hello and how are you doing to Mr. Hansen as he passes by. However, he is totally unresponsive. Climbing into the wagon, that's when Charles relays that Wendell Loudy stopped by today, and Caroline, nodding her head, lets out a sigh of condolence. They head home. We're back with Mary and Laura, and they have found replacement ants. And that's when Jack enters, and he is barking and he's whimpering. Mary demands him to be quiet. He needs to stop. He's scaring the bugs away. Yeah, Mary, that's what's scaring the bugs away. However, Jack's dancing is a little restless, and Laura calls it out. He's acting funny, and they decide to follow Jack. Back over with Charles and Caroline heading home, they come across a semi-intoxicated Wendell Loudy, who is passed out up against a log on the side of the road. Of course, they stop the wagon, and Charles gets out and gives an assist to Loudy to get him on his feet. And in the process, we find out a little more history. After the fire and Ellen's death, that's when Loudy started to drink, which then caused Lars Hansen to share that news with a town and a judge. And that's the reason Loudy's own daughter is gone. She was taken away. And if that's the case, and this happened like 20 years ago, then why didn't this happen to Graham Stewart and his dad, John Stewart, back in Child of Pain in season one? Charles, without asking Caroline, invites Loudy over for dinner. 
Loudy turns it down, but he continues and says that his daughter, who's now grown up, is coming to see him. He received a letter. However, Wendell Loudy doesn't want his daughter to see him like this. And Charles, putting his arm around Mr. Loudy's shoulder, assures him it doesn't have to. One day at a time. And again extends that invite for supper. We cut back to Jack, playing Lassie, leading the girls to the hole Carrie fell into. Approaching the hole and laying down on their stomachs, the girls yell down into the darkness. There's no response, but there are cries, which I guess is the next best thing. And that's when Mary tells Laura to run and go get Pa, because she's going to stay here with Carrie. You know, because Carrie likes Mary more, and not that Mary is lazy and simply just doesn't want to run. We go from one scene of Laura running off into a fade to black, and we cut to Laura running over a hilltop and catching up with Charles, Caroline, and Mr. Loudy. Caroline, stating the obvious, Mary and Carrie are not with her. What's wrong? And as Laura approaches, Caroline demands to know the 411. And poor Laura, she's just trying to catch her breath. But she does manage, in between breaths, to get out. Carrie fell into a hole into the field next to Willow Lake. <sighs> Laura is instructed to get into the wagon and give directions to Charles. Hiya! And as they arrive, Charles is out of the wagon and yelling down the well. And Carrie finally responds, Mama, where are you? Charles wants to see how far he can actually make it down this hole and instructs Loudy to grab a hold of his ankles as he crawls in. Moments later, Charles claims that he's wedged in, and above ground, Loudy bellows, force your way in, down. Inside the hole, Charles yells that he can almost see and nearly touch Carrie before he demands to be brought out of that hole. Apparently, Carrie has slipped a little farther down, and determined as ever, Charles heads to his wagon and pulls out a shovel. But Loudy, he's being the voice of reason, and he says with each shovelful you pull out, will drop an equal amount of dirt onto Carrie. And that's when he explains, we're going to need a second shaft. A rescue shaft. And this is when he explains that he used to be an engineer. So he knows what he's talking about. He continues that this is not a two-man job, and he is sending Charles on a supply run. They're going to need picks, shovels, links of pipes, bellows, and extra manpower. And lastly, Loudy does make one special request for a bottle. I need it. And my question is, where's Charles even going to get a bottle? We cut over to the mercantile, and Mr. Olson is fulfilling an order of five pounds of brown beans to Mr. Edwards. Lord have mercy. He also asks for some baking soda, a sack of whole wheat flour, and a plug of chawing tobacco. It's at this time Charles arrives and is explaining the situation. He relays the list Mr. Loudy had gave him and also throws in lanterns, and Mr. Olson love this man, tells Charles to take anything you want, anything you need. You got it. Mr. Olson then yells to Willie to go sound the alarm bell. What? They have an alarm bell in Walnut Grove? 
actually. It's just the regular church, school, Tinker Jones, Belle. Back at the rescue site, Charles is returning with Grace, Mr. Edwards, and two additional men. One, a familiar extra, and the other, he's new. We're also informed that Hanson and Mr. Olson are recruiting more men and will be by shortly. Grace goes to comfort Caroline, and Caroline mentions, I keep talking to her, but she doesn't answer. Mr. Loudy instructs the arriving men about the second shaft and how it can't be any closer than, you guessed it, six feet. And over at the hole Carrie fell into, they are lowering a length of pipe. Loudy instructs Caroline to talk to Carrie, and Caroline yells down into the darkness. And I swear this episode has now turned into Poltergeist 1982. With Caroline as the role of Diane Freeling yelling into the nothingness, trying to get her daughter, Carrie, Carol Ann, to respond. And Mr. Loudy is doing an amazing job as filling in for Tangina. He has his ear pressed up against that pipe, which that pipe's extended 30 feet down into the ground, listening for any sound of Carrie. He's even the one that is encouraging Caroline to get a response from Carrie. Tell her to respond to you. I swear, he's only moments away from pretty much saying, Tell her if she doesn't respond, she's gonna get a spanking. We then cut to Mr. Edwards, who could easily be a replacement for the guy who eventually rips his face off in the bathroom. Spoiler alert. And then we cut over to Grace Snyder, Charles, and the girls who fill in for the remaining Freely family members. And Grace Snyder is the doctor. And of course, you know what happens next? Mr. Loudly states he hears Carrie. Caroline takes Mr. Loudly's place at that pipe. And hearing Carrie down in the darkness, Caroline states, I know it's dark, honey. We're going to get you out. We're going to get you out, baby. It's then revealed that pipe is actually going to be used for pumping air down to little Carrie. Caroline and Mary set to task with pumping air down to Carrie, and Laura is set to task with getting some lanterns set up. At this time, more help arrives, including Mr. Hansen, who's actually impressed that there's already an air supply in place. Then he inquires how deep Carrie is, and really, we all know Carrie's not that deep. Mr. Loudly states, however, she's 30 feet underground and continues to update Mr. Hansen with the rescue attempt. And turning away from Mr. Loudy, Mr. Hansen states, I want to shoo up the sides. No one else is buried alive today. He pretty much excuses Mr. Loudy and takes charge of overseeing this rescue. And Mr. Loudy... Sadly, he retreats to Charles's wagon and picks up that bottle he had requested and heads off. We cut to nighttime at the rescue site. There are multiple campfires set up. Mary and Laura are sitting with Carl. He has to be there for some reason we have yet to discover. Grace and the Reverend over at another. A few good men sitting by the fire and the very well-illuminated second shaft. 
Mr. Olson comes into scene and instructs some of the gentlemen to head back to the mercantile. They're short on kerosene. Grace steps forward and mentions how they're low on coffee as well. We pan over to the campfire where Mary is in tears in the foreground. Carl is in the center and Laura is in the background looking out into the darkness. And this is when big sister Mary takes credit slash the blame for Carrie falling down that hole. All she wanted to do was play with the little bugs. I don't know why I got mad at her. She then gets up and heads to the dig site, passing a slightly intoxicated Mr. Loudy. Charles and Caroline are yelling down to Carrie and there's no response. And that's maybe because she's napping because it's well past 8 p.m. P.S. The lighting is making Caroline's hair look as though it has gone pale gray. They get no response and they reattach the pipe and Caroline with Mary back set to task pumping air once again. And over at the dig site, Mr. Hansen makes the announcement that two more feet, at which point they can start on digging the horizontal channel over to Carrie. And once that happens, Mr. Edwards is the first one to lead that dig. Over at the air pump, Grace is coming over to relieve Caroline because she's been at it, as far as we know, ever since that pump arrived. So physically and mentally, it's like she's been doing some sort of endurance challenge on Big Brother. She's a mother on the brink. Why didn't she answer? And when Grace physically tries to take over for Caroline, Caroline swats at her and yells out no. It's a rather exhausted no. She then assures herself that Carrie is merely sleeping. It's only when Charles comes into the scene is when Caroline finally takes a break. And really, who wouldn't? It's Charles, of course. And Charles escorts a very stressed out looking Caroline to the Reverend Alden and leaves her there. And I swear it looks as though Charles is having her committed. And with his arms around Caroline, Reverend Alden escorts her away. And it takes a moment before she finally starts to struggle to head back to the dig site slash escape solitary confinement. Looking at the Reverend, Caroline then inquires, tell me why this happened. Why? And then out of the darkness, Caroline gets her answer in the form of Miss Beetle, who states, I just heard. Huh? What? This is a small town. That bell rang. There's lots of commotion happening in town and it's now dark. And Miss Beetle just heard this news. Where has she been all afternoon? I just want Caroline to come out swinging only because that would be an awesome parent-teacher conference. But she doesn't. She begins blaming her, stating the bug collection assignment was your idea. Carrie wouldn't have gone with her sisters if they didn't have bugs. All I wanted was for her to come with me to town. And this is the point where if Caroline wasn't so tired from pumping that air down to Carrie all day, she would facepalm herself. She slowly realizes it was her fault. She could have easily, one, listen to the older sisters, and two, be the mother and just say, no, you're coming to town with me. 
After this moment of realization, Caroline embraces Miss Beetle and begs forgiveness for her thoughts. They leave and they go have a drink. Just kidding. We cut back over to the dig site and Mr. Hansen is yelling out, we need two fresh men in the hole. And now I'm confused. When did this shaft become a hole? Dog Baker comes into scene and switches, replaces, tags off with Mr. Edwards who is coming out of that hole. And as Dog Baker is making his way in, Mr. Edwards gives a little warning. It's getting a little loose down there. Be careful. And I just have to say, for coming out of the ground, Mr. Edwards looks spotless. And in the meantime, he's assuring his friend that everything is going to be all right. Doc Baker's going to be there when they get her. We cut to Carl and Laura by a fire. And Miss Beetle is giving a rather shaky Caroline a sip from a cup. And of course, I can't help but wonder what's inside. At this moment, it is announced that they have broken through. Six feet went really quickly. And everyone comes running to the site, which I don't know if that's a smart idea. That's when Doc Baker yells up that his lantern has gone out, which sounds a little creepy, but he doesn't really have anywhere to get lost. However, when the light is replaced, Doc Baker announces that he can't see Carrie above him or below him. And using a length of rope to measure, you know, how much more distance Carrie might have fallen, holy spit, the 30-foot rope he is using doesn't even reach. Now, you would think this news would get some sort of response from anyone. Plank expressions. Heck, we don't even get a single eye blink from Charles. However, in that silence, Caroline turns and heads up to the air pump and starts at it once again. And Mr. Hansen, he then gives the orders to continue to dig. And Loudy heads off into the darkness. As the work continues, we find Mr. Loudy propped up against one of the wagons rereading that letter from his daughter. At this point, a barrel full of sentiment is dropped in front of him. Mr. Loudy looks at that bottle of liquor and then smashes the bottle on the rocks on purpose because that's what he wants. He wants to find a purpose. How can he contribute right now? And then he sees it. He picks up one of the stones, rocks that was in front of him, and examines it. The dust, dirt, whatever, was washed off from his alcohol, and he slowly realizes in his hands is coal. And with this information, he heads over to find Charles, Mr. Edwards, and Mr. Hansen. He explains that this isn't a well. This is an air shaft for a coal mine. Nobody saw that twist coming. And well, Mr. Hansen is just stubborn and wants to keep Mr. Loudy in his place, proclaims, there are no coal mines around here. Mr. Loudy proclaims, maybe there were some years ago. And his plan is, if they find the mine and follow it till it leads to the air shaft and find Carrie that way. Mr. Hansen, getting closer to Mr. Loudly, states, I can smell the liquor on your breath and then admits to never being wrong and blows him off. 
We all know those are famous last words. Mr. Loudy turns to Charles and tries to reason with him. There's got to be a mine around here. And just then, it is finally revealed why Carl Sanderson is actually here. He knows where the mine is at. Of course he does. It's just over the ridge a ways. I've never been there in the dark. I roll my eyes at that because I'm pretty sure Carl has. And these three men with Carl decide to head out. We're also informed that since this is an air shaft and not a well, it's not as reinforced, so there is a possibility of a collapse if the dig continues. I know Mr. Hansen may not be listening, but is nobody else listening? Regardless, the dig continues and the second rescue team leave without telling anyone. We get a really long take of the dig site with a camera eventually zooming in on Caroline and Mary. We cut to, of all people, Carl leading the way by lantern in the dark, followed by Charles, Mr. Edwards, and Mr. Loudy. It's like the blind leading the blind. And of course, out in the woods in the dark, Carl announces he's lost. And he starts to describe what they're actually looking for. And thankfully, Mr. Loudy is there because he announces he's found the location of the mine entrance. Inside, Mr. Loudy, using engineering slash math skills, estimates carries about 2,000 yards from the entrance. And as they move forward, they come to a fork and they take the path of least resistance. And they are not using any sort of breadcrumbs or tether, so I hope they don't get lost. Meanwhile, up on the surface, another set of two men tag off and tackle the hole. Underground, Mr. Loudy, Mr. Edwards, and Charles have located the wrong air shaft. They double back and head to the other route. And as they continue forward, they come across some falling sediment and a shoe. I think we found her. Charles asks for a boost. Aw. So he can reach up into the shaft. And half inside that shaft, Charles announces he can see Carrie's foot. But at the same time, there are a lot of creaks happening all around. It looks as though that possible collapse is starting to happen. Charles grabs a hold of her foot and also announces she's wedged in. And then, oh, spit. The timber reinforcements around them collapse and we lose sight of them. Above ground, we hear the noise of the collapse and the men yelling to be pulled out. And then someone asks the most obvious question, what happened? And although it may seem like a rhetorical question, Doc Baker answers it anyway. Caroline, she leaves that air pump and she goes and lays down next to that air shaft. Reverend Olden is comforting Laura. We then get this wonderful crane shot of the dig site. And in the silence, we then hear Charles yell out for Caroline. And slowly, everyone turns. And out of the darkness comes Charles with Carrie in arms. And what should be a joyful, tearful reunion is actually quite dry. Oh, and P.S. Carrie is definitely channeling some Winona Ryder at the end of the movie Heather's vibes. 
The silence is finally broken and everyone comes running to Carrie. Jubilation. Mr. Loudy is watching from the sides. And that's when Mr. Hansen comes forward and admits his mistake. Not only about the coal air shaft, but his blaming Loudy for Ellen's death. And he admits how much he loved her. And Mr. Loudly admits back, I did as well. It's at this time, Mr. Hansen offers Mr. Loudy a job. And extending their hands for a handshake, Mr. Loudy says, thanks Lars, I sure could use it. And reunited friends head back to the rescue party. Aww, we had a Carrie-centric episode. And then we had to spend as little time as possible with her. I didn't pull too much additional trivia to kind of research about this episode because there was so much actual history that was being discussed about the Walnut Grove area. So let's just get started with reviewing and rating this episode. I think one of the things that I was kind of impressed with about this episode is that it is the shortest length of time we've had in an episode. Prior to that, season two's The Runaway Caboose was a close contender, but this entire episode, it starts in the morning at school, they get their homework assignment, and then start their homework assignment, Carrie falls into the shaft, and then the rest of the episode is trying to get her out of the ground as quickly as possible. So this entire episode was a day in the life of Walnut Grove citizens, you know, after an accident happens. And in addition to that, we kind of, like I said, get a little bit of more history of the area around Walnut Grove. All right, so some of the things we can establish is that Amos Pike, back in the Haunted House episode, was the first one in the area and built his house. Later on, we find out in Going Home episode that Matthew and Anna Sims had lived at Plum Creek 40 years earlier. And what we find out here is that 20 years ago, there was a fire that, of course, took the life of Ellen, the wife of Wendell Loudy and the love interest of Mr. Hansen. Plus, way back in If I Should Wake Before I Die, we find out that Miss Amy Hearn's eldest son, Sean, as a child, worked for Mr. Hansen. And again, when Sean came back to Walnut Grove for that fake wake, he's a gentleman at least his mid-30s. Life in Walnut Grove before the Ingalls. And then of course let's not forget Granville Whipple who was also gone nearly as long as Andy Hearn, Miss Amy Hearn's youngest son. So it sounds as though people have been in this area and know a bit about each other's history. I mean it did come as quite a surprise when it was revealed that Charles knew all of Mr. Hansen and Wendell Loudy's history. It starts to put a few things in order. But if everyone has been around in this area for all this time, how does a coal mine go unnoticed? But I do appreciate how they did try to incorporate Wendell Loudy as being somebody in the town for a long period of time. And that, of course, is done by giving him history with Mr. Hansen. Oh, speaking of which, that is also, it's a nice little throwback here, way back in Mr. Edwards' homecoming, there was that ongoing joke with the crock jug Mr. Edwards, and Grace Snyder. You know, Mr. Hansen catches them a few times drinking from that, and then 
there's this one point in that episode where he confronts Grace Snyder about drinking after a sermon at church. And that little detail kind of, you know, I fixated on it because I was like, why does Mr. Hansen have such an issue with drinking? And this episode kind of answered that question. Again, it's a blink and you miss it kind of thing, but I, I really love how we kind of get that answer now. But it doesn't sound like Mr. Hansen was always the um, fine gossip gentleman that he is these days. And again, sadly, if, if Wendell Lowdy had his daughter taken away by a judge, why didn't anybody do that for Graham Stewart? Anyway, tangent. I mentioned a few episodes ago how I spent part of the holiday break listening to podcasts about the catacombs in Paris. So when they did find themselves, Lowdy, Edwards, and Charles, in the mines, I did get a little concern about them getting lost. However, it seems as though coal mines are not dug out in a honeycomb shape, such as the way the limestone mines under Paris, which eventually became the catacombs, were dug. This episode got tense. It was a lot of fun. I mean, even in the end, Carl Sanderson served as a purpose. Even though out of all of the Sanderson siblings, he's the one I'm most worried about. But one thing I am not worried about is this week's little house moment. And it goes to the Ingalls family with Loudy, Grace Snyder, and Mr. Edwards all recreating a scene from Poltergeist. Again, it's not shot for shot. And even though this entire episode was done before the movie was made, it's all it seems to really remind me of. So I just kind of have to applaud that. However, I will say when Caroline confronts Miss Beetle, that was also a very close contender for this week's Little House moment. All right, so let's finally get to rating this episode. I will admit, I absolutely loved this episode. Getting more history about Mr. Hansen, that's always nice. We never hear gossip about him. We get an entire episode that's pretty much self-contained within a 20, well, actually less than 24-hour period. I guess my really big two complaints I do have about this episode is even though we are just being introduced to Wendell Lowdy and he has such a long history with Mr. Hansen and Charles already knows this background history, it would have been nice if somebody had planned an episode or two or maybe even a season ahead and drop the name Wendell Lowdy. Again, nobody was probably thinking about continuity when the series was being developed and made, but just imagine if somebody was. And of course, why Carl Sanderson? I guess since he is identified as the legit troublemaker, it's easy to go ahead and let him be the one with the knowledge about a hidden mine. And when he mentions he's never been to that mine in the dark, I'm going to call BS on that. So even though the most obnoxious Sanderson sibling was the only sibling present, he did serve as a valuable purpose, which I guess is more important than just introducing some random person who happens to know about the mine shaft. At least this way, we know the source of the information is somewhat valid, considering Carl Sanderson has lived in the area all his life. And as much as I talk my own smack about little Carrie, the truth is, she is going to grow up and she is going to talk more and be more in the series, so I should just prepare myself. So, her falling down a, an air shaft? Well, 
Welcome to the main cast, Carrie. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give this episode, Little Girl Lost, a 4.75 bonnet rating. And again, those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I would like to hear any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episodes from Plum Creek with Love at Gmail or at Instagram. And as I watch those analytics continue to fluctuate, you can expect more episodes. You know, it's nice to be held accountable. So, as always, thank you for listening. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.